Grace and peace, brothers and sisters. I'm Vicar Derek Kabilis, and this is your at-home worship service for May the 10th, the year of our Lord, 2020. Before we get started, I just want to take a moment and acknowledge that today is Mother's Day. You know, a lot of preachers plan the whole service around Mother's Day when it comes around. And I, for one, have always just kind of resisted that. For one thing, you know, we try not to celebrate secular holidays in church, Fourth of July, Memorial Day, Thanksgiving, those kinds of things, because even though we might be able to find Christian themes and ideas inside them somewhere, we celebrate those things with our friends and our families. That's their context. But Mother's Day is just a little different. I love my mom, as most people do, and I want to honor her in every way that I can. But I noticed, growing up through the years, that some folks have a particularly tough time with Mother's Day. There are folks who have lost their mothers, folks who have strained or even broken relationships with their mothers, mothers who have lost their children, and also plenty of women who desperately want to be mothers, but who, for one reason or another, have never been able to make that happen. I've noticed over the years that some folks don't even come to church on Mother's Day anymore because it's just too hard for them. So today, as we begin our worship as we light the candle of our hearts, I want for us to acknowledge those of us who will be celebrating and honoring our mothers today, but I also want to magnify those who struggle with this day and ask you to pray for all those for whom Mother's Day is a tough day. Please pray with me. Light of Christ, shine on our path, chase away all darkness, and lead us to the heart of God. Our first hymn is How Firm a Foundation, featuring Stephen Tharp, Paige Morris, and a special appearance by our sister Sandy Malish, who shared her musical talents with us this week.
Our gospel lesson today is John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you there myself, so that where I am, you may be also. And you know the place where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and see him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and still you do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wish to preach to you this morning from the title, Rise of the Puzzle Masters. Rise of the Puzzle Masters. Please pray with me. And now, most holy and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. How do you feel about puzzles? Now, I'm not much of a puzzle guy myself, but every once in a while, try my hand at the New York Times Sudoku. And the thing is, if it's too easy, I immediately lose interest. But if it's too hard, I give up. It makes me feel like I'm not very smart. But there's a sweet spot in there somewhere. Where a puzzle is just challenging enough to keep your attention. Yet easy enough. So that you can solve it and still feel good about yourself. And then there's my wife. Maggie takes it to a whole nother level. She does crosswords. She's been nursing the same thick book 
of Sunday crossword puzzles for years now, and it amazes me the way she'll just sit there, pen in hand, staring at those pages for hours, maybe only solving a few clues at a time. Sure, every once in a while she'll ask me a clue about uh, ancient Latin or baseball or something I should know, and most of the time, I don't have the faintest idea, but every once in a while, when she does throw out a clue and I can answer it, it feels really good. It's empowering, isn't it? To fill in all the little boxes, you see that everything fits together and you just get this sense of completion and accomplishment. You figured it out. It's done. It's solved. There's an ego boost there. And beyond that, you know, some scientists are now saying that puzzles might actually be good for us. That they might help our brain fight off Alzheimer's and dementia. They can help settle our emotions. Norman Mailer once said that doing a puzzle a day was like brushing his brain. Like he would brush his teeth or his hair. And then there are those that make solving puzzle puzzles their career. Think of engineers, accountants, scientists, mechanics, doctors, programmers, and the list goes on. These folks have taken that same mindset, namely the idea that the answer is out there somewhere. If you can just put the pieces together in the right way, the blank can be filled in and, and, and everything can fit. In a, they've applied that to some of the biggest problems in the world, and our society is the beneficiary of millions and millions of cracked puzzles that make our lives better. There are some social scientists who would call our society, ever since the advent of science and technology, the rise of the puzzle masters. A world that has been reshaped and redefined by the same problem-solving, answer-finding, data-driven rationality at work in crosswords and Sudokus. And that's not a bad thing. But you know, there is a darker side to puzzle craft. There are plenty of people every year that admit that they are puzzle addicts. It's a problem that has gotten worse in society with the internet because before you had to wait for the morning paper or go buy a special book, but now millions of puzzles are at our fingers at any time, day or night, and some people just can't say no. Beyond that, one puzzle maker, a guy named Dean Ulcer, wrote a book in which he explained how puzzles can actually narrow our thought patterns, how they can make us myopic, make us people who, who see things only in terms of right or wrong, left or right, black or white, when so much of our world is shades of gray in between. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Boy, that sounds pretty black and white, doesn't it? It sounds like the answer to a puzzle, as if he's saying he's the only solution that fits in the box. The lone combination to a lock on the gates of heaven. I can't tell you how many times I've been involved in discussions and arguments and debates about folks who believe in other religions, who come from other traditions, who who may not have even ever heard the name of Jesus before and, and, and what happens to their soul, where their eternal destiny lies. And, and sure enough, someone pulls out this verse as a trump card. They quote it is undeniable proof that without, quote, believing in Jesus, no one can be saved. No one can go to heaven. No one can find their way to God the Father. They use the verse as a kind of warning. Except that I don't think that's what this particular passage is about at all. I don't think it's a warning. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. See, that's the problem with trying to solve big spiritual questions with a single Bible verse. We call that proof texting, where you have a question or, or you're in an argument with, some, with someone or, or even just trying to write a sermon. So you pick out a specific verse and you just kind of cut that verse out of the Bible and, and paste it into your conversation or your argument, your sermon. And that's fine, if you're dealing with, say, the book of Proverbs. That's what Proverbs are, these short, pithy witticisms you're just supposed to keep in your back pocket and memorize to quote at just the right time. But the rest of the Bible just isn't written that way, especially the Gospels. No, the Gospels are a story. A very good story, a story we happen to believe in, but there's still a story. And that means every word, every line of dialogue has something called context. Something that came before it and something that came after it. And that context tells us something about what that word or that sentence or that paragraph actually means. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That verse appears in the context of something called the farewell discourse. The farewell discourse in John is this big speech that Jesus gives to his disciples after the Last Supper. And it runs from chapter 13 all the way to chapter 18. And this farewell speech is all about Jesus trying to comfort his friends, his disciples, those who are closest to him. They are obviously upset that he's leaving and confused about what's going to happen next. And, and they seem to understand that they're about to lose their, their master, their mentor, their friend. So he offers them words of comfort. This is where he tells them 
to love one another as he has loved them. Where he tells them that he's going to send the paraclete, the advocate, the Holy Spirit to guide them. He talks about how he will turn their sorrow into joy and he prays a prayer of peace over them. Now it's in the midst of this discourse that the disciples are asking all these questions, trying to figure out what's going on. And in chapter 13, right before our passage this morning, Peter asks the biggest question of all, where are you going? And in our passage, Jesus answers him. He tells him outright, you know the way to where I am going. But doubting Thomas objects and And you can almost hear the strain in his voice when he pipes up and says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And it's to that that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. See, Peter, Thomas, and the rest of them are absolutely indignant that they don't know the answer. They don't know the solution. There must be some kind of secret code or secret knowledge, something that they want Jesus to to leave with them or at least give them some clues for before he leaves. See, they think of religion and spirituality and even heaven itself as a puzzle to be solved. And they're worried that they don't have enough information. But what Jesus is trying so hard to tell them is that they already have everything they've been searching for. Everything they've been trying to figure out. Because they have him. You see what I'm saying here? This verse is not a warning he's giving to folks but rather it's a word of comfort. Namely, that the answer to all their questions is right in front of their eyes. But we religious folk sure do like to make it more complicated, don't we? I have a huge library in my office that I'm staring at right now that can attest to that. We want there to be some secret knowledge, some technique to master, some incredibly elegant solution to the problem of human life so that we can solve it and feel good about ourselves. In the Jewish tradition, they have something called Kabbalah. And Kabbalists spend most of their lives trying to find a secret code in the letters of the Hebrew Bible. And they, they rearrange the letters into diagrams and, and, and switch them around, all so that they can find God's secret little message somewhere. Well, we have our own version of that in Christianity. We have folks who are more, shall we say, apocalyptically minded, don't we? Oh, you know the type that I'm talking about. Always 
cross-referencing the stories in the newspaper with the book of Revelation, looking for the signs and the symbols to start lining up so that they can know when the end times are about to come. Lately, with the pandemic and everything, I've been hearing a lot from those kinds of people. Well, you know, I see where they're coming from. I think that something inside of us wants our religion to be complicated. We want it to be hard. We want it to be a secret code. But just hard enough so that we can solve it. Just hard enough so that at the end of the day, we can believe that we are puzzle masters. There's a part of us that wants life and purpose in salvation, whatever all that is, but we want it all to be a puzzle. A puzzle that's just hard enough that we can feel proud to have found the solution. And then there's Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's about me. Do you have me? Then you have everything you need already. See, when we use that verse as this kind of trump card or a solution to the grand puzzle about how to get to heaven after you die, when we do that, we're doing the exact opposite of what Jesus was trying to do. He said it to offer comfort, to invite relationship. But too often, we use it as a warning. Did you ever hear the difference between a puzzle and a mystery? The answer to a puzzle is unknown because there isn't enough information. But the answer to a mystery is unknown precisely because there's too much information. In a puzzle, the uncertainty comes from the fact that you don't know enough. You need more data, more knowledge, more evidence, like a Sudoku or a crossword. Those are puzzles because you're not given all the information. There are blocks you need to figure out and fill in and make sure that everything lines up just right in the end. But in a mystery, it's just the opposite. In a mystery, the uncertainty comes from the fact that you have too much knowledge, too much data, too much meaning. You can't even hope to sift it all out for yourself. The best answer anyone has ever had to a true mystery is something like a poem or a work of art or a prayer, or a ritual, or a piece of music that cuts across that part of your mind that is obsessed with finding right answers and speaks directly to your soul. Christ, my brothers and sisters, is not the answer to a puzzle. He is the presence of a mystery. He isn't part of a code or a solution 
or a set of letters or numbers you can plug into a box to get to where you want to go. He is the way, the truth, and the life itself, the reason for existence, what the great Paul Tillich once called the very ground of being. And the good news, the gospel, the great news, is that you already have him. He's already yours. You are in him as he is in the Father. And now all you got to do is spend the rest of your blessed life figuring out what that means. Here's the thing, folks. Puzzle masters are great. They solve problems. They design products. They create vaccines. I mean, we need our puzzle masters right now. Amen? But what we don't have, what we are severely lacking in this world right now, are those who are willing to recognize a mystery when they see it. I'm talking about the poets and the artists, the folks that can look past the old formula of problem and answer and instead see the profound mystery underneath. Puzzles are meant to be solved. They're meant to be figured out, cleared up, dissected, and disentangled. Mysteries can only be embraced. They can only be accepted. You know, coronavirus is a problem. And we have our statisticians and our scientists and our doctors and our researching researchers all working really hard to, to crack the code and find the answer. And we pray for them. We bless them. We want to do everything we can to help them. But in the meantime... I think we also need to learn how to embrace the mystery of where we are right now as a people, as a church, as a world. Because Christ is in this somewhere. And no, I don't mean that Jesus caused this as a judgment against so-and-so or that this is part of the end times playing out right before our eyes or anything like that. That's still puzzle think. No, embracing the mystery of right now means embracing the idea that Jesus in the midst of, is in the midst of this somewhere. In our homes, in our apartments. He's with us when we're looking at our dwindling bank accounts and trying to figure out how to put food on the table. He's with the doctors and the nurses and at the bedsides of, of all those folks who are dying in the hospital and their nursing homes. And he's right next to the families grieving at home. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that. I believe that means that he's with us, that he's with you, even right this very moment. 
no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter what kind of pain you have or what kind of confusion or anxiety you're struggling with, Jesus is in there somewhere. He didn't cause it and he sure doesn't like it, but he's in it with you. So don't worry. Stop searching for an answer. You already have everything you need. If only you can find the faith to embrace him. These words I offer to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to take a moment and allow you to pause this podcast so that uh, you can have a prayer time for yourself or for your family. Um, In the PDF worship service that came with this podcast, you should see some specific prayer needs of our church family. And I invite you to turn to that sheet and turn to your God in prayer. And our final hymn is Jesus, Joy of Our Desiring. Number 644 in your hymnals at home. Um, We're just singing two verses today.
And now may the love of God the Father, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you, now and always. Amen.